and verses 1 to 6. By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away, I beg that when I come to you, I might not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. If I were to tell you that on the way to church uh, right now, I heard on the radio the Prime Minister had announced that unfortunately Australia has gone to war and that all of us here, young and old, need to be prepared to go and fight in the battle. I don't think anyone would just go, oh, OK, fine, and go running out the door to go fight. That, that would be a little bit crazy. You'd, you'd need to be prepared. You'd need to know who it was you were meant to be fighting. You'd need to know what your weapon was, how to use it properly. God's word tells us that we are in a spiritual battle and we, we can just look outside and see the, the world around us to see that that's true. But do we know, do we honestly know what we're doing? Because it seems that many Christians go off in completely different directions, thinking the battle's over here or over there, or we should fight this way or that way or fix things through other ways. Paul's aiming to do spiritual battle with some inside the church at Corinth. Ideas from the outside world have burst their way into the church and infiltrated the church through false teachers, and it's a mess. And some in the church are allies, many are drifting in which side they'll take and others are already fully entrenched and ready to fight against Paul. How will Paul fight? How does he teach us to fight? As we look at this passage, we're going to ask three things because we all know sermons have to have three points. That's just the rule. So, so here's our questions. Firstly, how should we approach the battle? Secondly, what are we fighting and, and what's, our, what's our objective? What are we trying to do? And thirdly, what weapons do we use? Let's pray and ask God to help us understand his word. Father, as we look at your word, we pray that you'll help us understand the battle that we're involved in as your people. We pray that uh, we will follow in the way of Jesus and be faithful to his commands. I pray that uh, all that I say will be true and honouring to you. Amen. There's this famous uh, 1980s blockbuster Hollywood movie with Sylvester Stallone 
and called Rambo. And I've, I actually haven't seen it, but I know it's very famous. I've seen pictures and, and small clips of it. And it kind of reminds me of the typical Hollywood sort of action movie where there's just these huge explosions and people just spraying machine gun bullets everywhere, grenades going off, just just blow everything up. That's sort of the, the Hollywood sort of way that the, the star comes in to fight his battle. But the question is, how, how do we approach the battle? Paul's approach is like the total opposite of how you'd expect. I appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Paul certainly doesn't sound like he's coming out of a Rambo movie. Now, he's, he's no pushover, but instead of just blasting everyone in sight without any thought, he comes with a heart of meekness and gentleness, appealing to them out of love for Christ. And Paul knows how this is going to play in the minds of those who are against him. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold when away. He knows that's, that's what they're saying about him. That's what they're joking about him. Oh, he's a, he sounds like a tough guy when he's far away, but when he's here, he's just a scaredy cat. And that's, that's not true at all, but in their sinful minds, his opponents mistake Paul's meekness as weakness. And it's not a surprise because people mistook Jesus as well and they mocked him as well. Jesus was meek, but there was no way you could ever call him weak. And Paul follows in the way of Christ. He doesn't come with a hard heart towards his opposition. He wants to show the same meekness and gentleness as Christ did to those who will repent. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be. Can you see his heart there? You might remember the, the infamous Westboro Baptist Church in America. They had a lot of media attention maybe a decade or so ago. And they'd stand on street corners holding uh, a crude and offensive signs. And they were just trying to upset and offend as many people as they could. But I, I don't think that's actually what made them so vile. It was just that they had no concern, none whatsoever, for the people they thought were going to hell. In fact, they said that they were happy about it. They celebrated that fact. Not because they celebrated the righteousness of God, but they got a, a personal enjoyment at the thought of everyone that wasn't part of them being in hell. That's what it looks like when you go into the battle without the meekness and the compassion of Christ. You become hard and hateful. You and I are sinners. We were once the enemies of God and we deserve judgment. But God had compassion and mercy on us. Our Lord Jesus gave up heaven and was born as a man in the lowest form possible and humbled himself even to the point of death on a cross for you and for me. We stand only by grace. So how can we then live by that grace of God and yet have hate towards our enemies? How can we stand as people pass by every day on the way to hell and not be moved to fight for their souls? How do we approach the battle? Not in weakness, but with meekness, with compassion, with discernment. We should be ready to fight, 
but with a heart that is hoping for their repentance rather than their destruction. A second question is, what exactly are we fighting then? What's, what's our objective here? Paul tells us he expects to be bold against those people who thinks he lives by the standards of this world. These are the false teachers who have been slandering Paul and saying that he's a sinner and the others who, who are being persuaded and following him. And there's, there's kind of an irony in that because in, in reality they are the ones who are living sinful lives according to the standards of the world. It's just totally twisted in reverse. But Paul twists their twist back at them, if you will. The NIV kind of tries to make it a bit more understandable for us by, by translating it as living in the world. But more, more literally, Paul is saying, though we walk in the flesh, we, walk, we, excuse me, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Now, if you've encountered Paul before, which I'm sure you have, you'll know that walking in the flesh is not a good thing. Usually it means being in fleshly desires or basically walking in sin. And Paul isn't saying here that he's fine walking in sin. He's flipping his opponent's understanding back on them. He's saying, okay, then you think I'm walking in the flesh. Well, I do walk in the flesh in a, in a sense. I'm human. I exist in this world. But here's the twist. That's not where the battle is. This fight isn't a fleshly fight. What's our objective? Verse 4, to demolish strongholds. What are the strongholds we demolish? Verse 5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. False arguments and ideas against the truth of God. This word stronghold, it means a fortress. It's like a fortress of the mind, if you will. A fortified, entrenched mindset against the truth of God. And Paul's opponents in their worldly wisdom were convinced in their minds that they, they were the holy ones and that Paul, the apostle of Christ, was the sinner. That's how twisted sin can make our minds. We actually see everything in the world the exact opposite to what it really is, how God sees it in truth. And these strongholds, these fortresses that the, our unregenerate sin-affected minds are entrenched are in are the so-called wisdom of man. Man-made religions, uh, humanism, philosophies, intellectualism, faith in the, in the wisdom of science, faith in ourselves. We're all born with the effects of sin contaminating our minds and we, we aren't in a position to rightly understand or judge anything. 1 Corinthians 2, the natural man, that's the, that's the sinful, unregenerate man, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. He is not able. He, he literally does not have the ability to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But people take for granted that they are in a position to judge the things of God, that they get to judge whether God's real or not, that they get to put their faith in science above God's word. And Christians have been suckered into catering to that view. But God's word tells us that there's no such thing as an agnostic. There's no such thing as an atheist. Romans 1, people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. But although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and in their foolish, their foolish hearts were darkened. And that's where they still are, stumbling around in the darkness, entrenched in a fortress of lies. We aren't going out there to do battle with people who are neutral, who are able to use their clever minds to judge objectively if there's a God or not. They know there's a God. Their eyes see the creation. They have a God-given conscience of right and wrong. They know in their heart of hearts that one day they'll need to give an accounting for their deeds. They aren't neutral to that. They repress that. It's buried down so deep under their nature of sin that they may not even realise it or admit it. They're entrenched in a fortress of false ideas and arguments. They're entrapped in a worldview that's contaminated by sin and in rebellion against God. And they don't even see it. So we are sent as soldiers to go and demolish those strongholds. And now we get to our third question. We need to know then, what is our weapon? If we were to survey a whole bunch of different churches and, and different Christians, I think we'd all agree that we're involved in a spiritual battle. But then if we would ask the question, what weapons do you use? The answers would vary quite a lot. Some churches like to try and set a, a tricky bait and switch trap. They, they figure, well, well, we'll kind of downplay and hide all the unattractive stuff about Christianity and try and get people in with how cool we are and how much flashiness we can put in our service. And then, then maybe later we might be able to slip in all those not-so-attractive parts of Christian teaching and hope they'll go along with it. We've seen churches having things like Star Wars-themed services where you come along on a Sunday morning to the service dressed as your favourite character from the movie and the sermon's about the supposed Christian themes in the movie. We had instances where a minister lowered onto the stage with wires dressed in a Superman costume to preach about how Jesus is better than a superhero. These are, these are real things. I'm not making these up. These are real things that happen in churches. We had one minister ride a motorcycle down the aisle of the church and onto the stage in order to rev up his congregation, if you'll pardon the pun, for his next sermon series. One church had silver sparkly confetti come down from the air conditioning ducts to represent angels in their presence. And all of that nonsense is their weapon of choice to break down strongholds. Other Christians will say that we'll have spiritual victory in this nation if we can take over parliament, if we can have a Christian prime minister, if we can make the government force everyone to hold biblical values and morals. Now, if you're a Christian and you can vote and lobby for Christian values in parliament, that is great. Please do. That's a good thing. But that's not the way. That's, that's not what we put our faith in to break down these strongholds. 
Other Christians, their choice is to use their own clever minds, showing the world that we're just as smart and intellectually and philosophically as they are. And if we could just get the world's respect for how smart we are and that we're able to talk like them and think like them, then maybe we can sort of sneak in those other beliefs and we won't sound so dumb. And don't get me wrong, I think that, that more Christians should be doing study in the Bible and theology if they can, uh, and we should be able to give strong arguments for the faith we have, but our knowledge and our, our intellectual prowess is, is not what we put our faith in to break down strongholds. And at first glance you might say, well, hang on a minute, if what we're battling is arguments and pretensions, why can't we then use them uh, use our own intellect and, and, and arguments back. A while ago, uh, we were some of us from the, the church were, were door knocking on local houses. I was paired together with Bill. And at one house we met a man who was exactly uh, himself an Anglican, but now he was sort of a, a Buddhist, but I, I don't really know exactly uh, what, what was going on. And when he found out that we're from the local church... I literally felt like I had just stepped into a Rambo movie. Not, not because he was angry or violent, but because he just started firing all these arguments off just in all different directions. What about the errors in the Bible? Aren't all the manuscripts corrupted? What about all the wars that, that religion started? What about the sexual abuse in the church? Science has proved that the Bible's wrong. What about sincere people in other religions? And he was just firing all these off like Sylvester Stallone, you know, spraying bullets everywhere. And he, he wasn't even really thinking it. He was just firing, just hoping to hit something. And for, for every rational, factual answer he was given, it, it just didn't have any effect. He, he saw that his bullet didn't hit, so he just fired another and another. We weren't breaking down any strongholds that way. Paul tells us the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Here's the weapon of power that nothing will withstand. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. When you are up against a person, up against the world, entrenched in a stronghold, a fortress of their mind, entrapped by the effects of sin and a a world fallen in sin, we're to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. How do we do that? We burst into their stronghold of false belief with the truth of God. Ephesians 6 tells us our weapon is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This man we were talking to at the door, we could have just fired back and forth all day and not break into his stronghold. This man needed the truth. He needed to be convicted by the word of God. He needed to have it revealed that his whole worldview was actually a trap of the mind, a trap of sin. He had to see and be cut to the heart that he'd sinned against God, that he was truly sinful and wretched and that he was in desperate, desperate need of a saviour. The only way that will happen is if his fortress is demolished 
by the truth of the word of God and he's convicted of his sin. And in that crumbling debris of his old fortress, he submits his heart and mind in obedience to Christ and claims the promise that all who repent and put their faith in Christ will find him to be a perfect saviour. We read in, in our first reading in Isaiah 55, God says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Do we, do we believe that? Are we really going to rely on that as our weapon as we walk out these doors? Remember back in the the Old Testament when the Israelites were wandering in the desert and they needed water. And God told Moses not to to strike the rock like he did before to make the water come out, but instead instead to speak to the rock. And I kind of wonder if we're a little bit like Moses. Really, Lord? I mean, there's there's all these people watching and it makes much more sense just for me to strike the rock. That's, that's something I can do. I've, I've done it before. You really want me to start talking to rocks in front of all these people? And I think he doubted God. And I think he put his faith in what he thought he knew and, and, and what he thought had worked instead of God. And he was punished for that. Do you and I do what God tells us, embarrassing as it might seem to us at the time in front of other people, to use the word of God as our weapon to break down strongholds? Or do we fall back on what we think looks and works better? Here's our battle plan. How do we approach the battle? Not in weakness, but with meekness, stronghold and compassion for the lost. What are we fighting? We're fighting against strongholds, the secular mindsets that have entrapped people's minds in their sin and their rebellion against God. What's our objective? To demolish those strongholds. Not demolish the people. That's, that's where the, the compassion comes in that we saw before from, of Christ. But we instead demolish the sinful mindset that they are entrapped in. What is our weapon? We fight wrong ideas and pretensions with the truth. We use the truth of the word of God and trust that God will use his word with divine power to break down enemy strongholds and to capture their hearts in obedience to Christ. How are you doing in the battle? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that uh, you have broken down the the lies and the sin that kept us separated from you and your love. We thank you for your grace and for your compassion to us. Lord, we, we want to be faithful soldiers in battle. Please give us your compassion to show to others. Give us the courage to stand on the truth of your word, no matter what it might cost. I pray that uh, we will never lose sight of the wonderful salvation that our Lord Jesus secured for us on the cross and that we will be compelled to share that message with others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.